Like one of the things I remember learning from him about being an entrepreneur was he never had a uh, chair in the store. You were never allowed to sit. Like customers were always first. And so if I had any free time, I had to do something, clean the shelves, fix the window, you know. So I learned a lot about like, you have to just do stuff. You can't just sit around. From the studio of Rule 29, I'm your host, Justin Ahrens, and this is Design Of. Today, I get to introduce you to one of my favorite, fast-talking, brutally honest consultants and friends, Emily Cohen. Emily is known for her directness, passion, and for having a sheer love for her work and the creative industry. But don't take it from me. Emily will let you know exactly how she thinks. Um, so I'm a business consultant that knows design. I went to design school. I always tell people that because they have to understand that I understand like their profession. I care about them very much, and I care about what we do as an industry. So I work with people that do good things for the industry, care about how their behavior affects all of us as an industry, and I help them with all their business areas. So I help them, give them a lot of what I do is look at their business overall, kind of holistically to say, where are you now and where do you want to be and how do we get there? So is it staffing? Is it process? Is it, you know, the tools we use? Is it changing our positioning and our new business strategies? So I help them with all of those things, kind of everything that designers hate. Yeah. I love to do, and I give them the context of, like, looking at their business. But a lot of what I do now is this kind of, like, holistic leadership retreat kind of thing, okay. which is, like, where are we now? How do we get where we want to go? Does that also include, like, the posture that I may take as a, as a leader or as a firm? Yeah, it includes yeah. all of that. Okay. It, it, complete, it, it might be just your role mm-hmm. and where you want to go. So some of my clients are, like, what do I do next? I don't want to have a firm anymore. I want to be something else. Or it's, like, what is my role on the team? A lot of them struggle with that. As, they, as their career matures and, you yeah. know, kind of try to find their place. Yeah, or as, if they're younger, they're like, they don't have leadership skills, they don't know how to manage a team, and they have to grow in order to get there. How do yeah. they grow? But how did Emily get from school to business consultant? That, of course, is also an interesting story. Yeah, so I, I came from a Jewish family, and I had the unusual situation where my parents actually loved art. And they wanted me to be an artist. My father was a wannabe painter, and I never knew this. And so they pushed me to art school, and I went to art classes, and I just was sort of in the opposite. And most of our friends were told, you shouldn't be an artist because there's no money in it. Right. My parents, like, pushed me. So I ended up being an artist. I went to art school, and I was decent at it. But, you know, I realized pretty quickly that I was not going to be great at it. It never fails to amaze me the impact our parents have on our future career, either negatively or positively, especially our dads. And what's really funny, though, this is the funniest thing, is my, um, my dad now that he's retired and he's 93, started taking painting. So he's really happy. Yeah, and that's awesome. It's really pretty funny. But my father was a bookseller. And I learned, um, so he had two stores on Wall Street. Because um, you grew up in New York? I grew up in New York. Okay. Well, actually, I grew up in Long Island, but I had this really eccentric father. My father was kind of, like, just very eccentric. And he would, when I was eight years old... People cannot believe this, especially growing up in the city. He would send me from Long Island every weekend to the city by myself. Wow. Because he hated Long Island. He didn't want me to have Long Island friends. He wanted me to be a New York kid. But he wanted me to have a Long Island education. So I would go to school, but then I'd just be thrown into the city. And he'd be like, go to this museum. Go walk around Soho. So he'd give me directions. So what was the youngest age you did that? Eight years old. 
come on. Yep. Can you imagine that now? Yeah. They'd throw you in jail. <laughs> I know. And I did it. And I made friends. And I did things that I'd never, you know, it just gave me this confidence in the world. Mm. And, and I wasn't ever scared. My father gave me skills. And, you know, people, when I tell people that, that like child abuse, I'm like, I don't think it was. I just, it was at the time, it worked really well for him. Yeah. So I always tell people I grew up in London, but I really was raised in the city. That's and cool. then I worked in my father's bookstores, usually on Saturdays also. So sometimes I meet him in the bookstore, I do Wall's deliveries, because he delivered to Wall Street, you know. Uh, it was fun, it was really, but I learned a lot about, like one of the things I remember learning from him about being an entrepreneur was he never had a uh, chair in the store. You were never allowed to sit. Like customers were always first. Huh. And so if I had any free time, I had to do something, clean the shelves, fix the window, you know. So I learned a lot about like, you have to just do stuff. You can't just sit around. That's amazing that that whole concept just not having a chair I love that so yeah. what got your dad into being an entrepreneur I mean, if he was a wannabe artist like why books yeah I, I do you know I think he's always my father is just a wackadoo <laughs> and I say that with we him. love you dad <laughs> he knows I love him uh, and I have a little bit of him in me uh, he just is a very independent thinker he um, my father's a really interesting so he, when he was younger um, he was hit by a car mm. and run over and his leg was crushed and back then there was no health care so they had some like like voodoo woman next door treat him before they realized it was bad. So yeah. she, he went to the hospital, he was in a wheelchair for a year, and that changed his whole life. Mm. And he became extremely independent because he didn't have any friends, people treated him differently, and he became this very independent person. So he knew that he couldn't work for anybody else because he is kind of a strange guy, and he just always had his own business. He's always like, so he was a cab driver, my long story, my grandfather was a cab driver, so he became a cab driver when he met my mom. Such a New York story, it's such yeah, a New York story. I love this. My, my grandfather said to him, you're going to marry my daughter. This is such a Jewish thing, too. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't generalize about Jewish people, but my grandfather said to my, my, his potential son-in-law, if you're going to marry my, my daughter, you can't be a cab driver. So good. So he opened, first he opened a station store, but he also loved books. Books was huh. his first love, so he, besides painting, so he opened a bookstore. So good, he followed his passion. Yeah. And got the girl. Yeah, and he got the girl. That's so cool. Yeah, so that's yeah, the whole story. That's but I learned a lot from him, from well, it sounds some like wacky it. things too, but What's yeah. funny, what I know of you is you are very independent. Yeah. Um, you're an, you are definitely a driver. Yep. And so that usually goes hand in hand. So exactly. It sounds like your dad, probably very similar. Exactly, and um, you know, I have a certain personality that people are gonna love or hate. Yeah. You know, I've learned he has some social cue issues. I don't have that. But <laughs> <laughs> and most people really adore me. But, you know, there are people that, you know, you're going to I have a very strong personality. Yeah. So you go to art school. Yeah. Um, and was, and that I went, New, was that New yeah. York? Or? So I went to Purchase, which is a state university, because this is also related to my father. When I was in 12th grade, um, my father's stores closed. They went bankrupt because mm. uh, uh, Barnes Noble came around the corner. So he had no money. They went bankrupt. I had to go to state school. So I went to state school. It was actually really good. good. And I went for painting, and then I switched right away to graphic design because I liked it much better. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I graduated graphic. And I even was a graphic designer for a few years. So okay. I worked in pot Actually, the funny story is I used to work at Pottery Barn as like their in-house graphic designer. Really? Yeah. It was really, yeah. And I uh, did that for a while, and then did I worked. Did you enjoy it? or? Um, I loved the team I worked with. Like, I loved the team. I One of my friends was the window designer. I learned all about window design, and okay. that was really cool. I didn't, you know, it was like back when I was just a junior designer, and I was, and back then, I was like literally waxing signs. Like, you remember, I don't even uh, remember wax. No, I was, I was on the cusp of doing boards and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, so I did yeah. all that stuff. So I was doing kind of stuff I didn't really like doing. Yeah. Um, 
And then I went from there to, so I went to Playboy, I, ran, I was an art director of a magazine, like a financial magazine, didn't like that. Then I joined a studio, um, the studio that is now called Corey Nash McPherson. It was Corey and Company, which is a very well-known Boston firm. Mm -hmm. um, and when I joined them, they just opened the New York office. So I worked there for a few years. And that's where I learned my chops, I mean, okay. amazing people. And I realized pretty quickly that I was never going to be a great designer. Like, I was very involved in AIJ at that point. So mm -hmm. I joined the AIJA. I was on, back then they had women in, so now, like, feminism was big. Yeah. Back then it was big, too. And I joined Women in Design, what was called Special Interest Group. And I ran that. I ran the New York Special Interest Group of Women in Design. And uh, through that, I met all these amazing designers. Yeah. They were so talented. And I was like, I am not that talented. AIGA is the leading professional design organization in the U.S. It was founded in New York City over 100 years ago. And for many, including myself, it has greatly impacted, if not altered, my career in a positive way. And not only do I love that Emily was a member, in fact, it's ultimately the reason we met, she once again demonstrates this understanding of her reality, embraces it, and pivots. So, okay, so let me, let me back up a little bit. So you, that, in some ways was discouraging. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I don't know if it was discouraging. It was empowering. I feel like it was like it was like an aha moment. Like I am ambitious and I want to be great and I wasn't going to be great. And it wasn't scary. Like I just it was a realization. Okay. That I was like, okay, and I was young enough to be able to pivot quickly. Yeah. So, and I'm not afraid of change. I've never been afraid of change. I'm sort of a risk taker. Um, so I was like, okay, what does that mean? I love design. So that was the big to me, that was the so most that was sad. the connection. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that was the scary part. Like, I didn't want to leave design. So that would scare me if I were to leave design. Because I love design. I love designers. They're all my friends. My so traditionally in there. this situation, people would shift to, like, being, like, an account manager yeah. or something. So, yeah. So what was your next step? So that was sort of... So back when I started my career, um, in the design world, so there wasn't really a business person. So there wasn't really account managers in design. There were more... Um, account managers in advertising, and they weren't. So I just literally, I asked a bunch of my friends, like, what should I do? And everybody was like, you're really good with clients. You're really good at managing people. You're super organized. People love you. Like, you're really just good at, like, wrangling everything. And, and I'm like, what does that mean? And so I just literally, in one week, went to, like, seven design firms in New York and said, hey, I have these skills. I'm a good writer. I, I'm fearless about negotiating. Like, is there a job? Like, can I? And they all wanted to hire me. And it wasn't because I was great. It was just because no one else had done. So back then, it was just a lot of designers. Mm -hmm. No, there wasn't project managers. And, and I felt so, like, too, like that's something typically that designers don't want to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And because I knew design, it was like a natural path for me. So I knew how to talk about design. I could talk to designers, but then I can also talk to client, clients. So it worked out really well. And um, so I've, because I'm driven by money, I took the highest paid salary. And, um, and I ran the studio for seven years. And I started when they were five people, and I grew them to 50. And I did everything but design. You know, I hired everybody, I managed the clients, and I managed the man project managers, and I just, we moved physically twice, like I have a lot of it, that experience, but because AIJ is, the whole world is very incestuous, everybody knows everybody yeah. else, and because I was very active in AIJ, such an interesting, I forget about this time, um, within like two years while I was at this design firm, um, the word spread that, hey, there's this woman out there who loves design but knows the business end and so people would call me and say can you write my proposal so I ended up getting a lot of freelance business wow. 
on the side, so I was working like 80-hour weeks. I was about to say, you didn't sleep. Yeah, I didn't yeah, sleep. Yeah. I, I, was, yeah, I was single, I didn't have kids, I was yeah. like, hey, the world, and I loved it, and I was working with, at the time, really famous designers. My very first client was Louise, uh, was, sorry, not Louise, it was um, Lloyd Ziff. Wow. I don't know if you know Lloyd, yeah. but he was my very first client. That's and, great. And because I worked with Lloyd, I got all these amazing other designers who were all friends with Lloyd, you know, and... I happened to get into a niche of like top level design firms. So I ended up getting Louise Feely and all these other clients that have been She's with wonderful. me for years. All my clients, like I actually work with the nicest. There's not one asshole in the bunch. <laughs> they all like, they might all have personality quirks, but we all do, yeah, right? Absolutely. But I love my clients. I have, it's like, I have the best job in the world. I keep telling people this, I get to be part of creating great work, but I don't do it myself, but I get to see them grow and work with just amazing people. What it sounds like to me, the key here is that you are truly in what we call your genius. So at Rule 29, we try to create opportunities for our team to be most often in their genius versus not. And it sounds like you're That's in your genius. Yeah. That, yeah. Is, that is what you love. You're yeah. good at it. You're confident in it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fantastic. And it feels so good to do something you love, right? Yeah. So yeah. many of us are in, trapped in jobs that we don't like. And, and I try to help my clients get to that place because I know what it feels like to be in that, what you call the genius. You yeah. know, like yeah. it feels awesome, yeah. you know, and I love what I do and I love seeing the impact of what I do. Um, and also I, what I, and this is why I wrote that book also, is I really think how we behave reflects on our industry. That's why I'm friends with people like you. Mm. Like I really want to be friends with people that care about where our industry is going, yeah, and well, thank you for and that. yeah, and that we're practicing good ethical behaviors and not undermining our value and yeah, you know, because there's a there's a few out there that are just like, you know, hurting our profession by doing whatever f- work for free or yeah. So okay, you're at this firm, you get this great network, yeah, and then how long after that did you just kind of you know put your shingle out there? Yeah, so. Um, I met my my husband, my soon-to-be husband, and he's like, you should do this for a living. You're working 80-hour weeks. I never see you. You should do this for a living. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. I'm like, I can't, I, what, I can't remember what it was, but I said something like, I can't communicate with them at night. So he got me a fax machine. I don't, his gift was like <laughs> a fax machine. And it like opened up my life. Like he just, really? he, because I was able to communicate, I don't know what it was about the fax machine, but it's made me start my own firm. Like I literally got the fax machine and then like three weeks later I started. I mean, he had a fax machine, you had to have a business. I yeah. Mean, obviously. Yeah. yeah so, so he created, he got, that was his gift for me. He was super romantic. <laughs> got me a fax machine. And he was the one who said, you should start this. You should do this, you know. And so I was cool. like, okay, I'll do this. It was before we got married. We were just dating. I'm like, okay, I'll so just I do know it. This. So have you been in business for, what, over 20 years? Oh, yeah, longer than that. Yeah. yeah, like probably over 25, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, and I also already had clients. So I already started with a bunch of clients freelancing, and they were, like, all encouraging me, and they were like, we'll give you tons of clients, you know, and the word spread because everybody knows everybody else in our profession. Yeah. And so, you know, and then I started just in New York. And then my New York clients moved to L.A. or to San Francisco or wherever they moved. And they brought me along. And then they would recommend me to people. And, and now fantastic. I'm all over the country because it's just a network of things. So. We're, you're obviously doing something right or you're yeah. not going to get referred. Yeah. Right? That's cool. one of the things I, you know, you, yeah, you're, same at with the, you, right? you're at this conference. And, you know, uh, I'll be sitting. And I'm going to talk about this later, too. You'll yeah. sit in a, in, a, in a restaurant later or a bar or at a meeting. And <clears throat> that's really when the true conversations yes. happen. Yes. Right. And you'll be hearing these these thoughts, and I'm just like, and that's really what inspired me to get into talk to speaking and writing and all that sort of yeah. thing is like that. Really, in a lot of ways, I don't think is that 
hard to figure out. We just don't have these conversations. No. Um, because we just feel like at this thing we should just talk about the work. Yeah. Versus the making, the how, the what of yeah. doing all that sort of thing. And so. the relationships, like just yeah. building those relationships and focusing on those kinds of things. Yeah. You know, I always tell people that to me, I've, I really, I just love meeting people. A trait I think anyone needs to have to impact the world around them, especially an entrepreneur, is that you have to be great with relationships and making connections. For Emily, this seems to just come naturally. On the Amtrak, on the way to the conference, and the guy takes out his computer sitting next to me, and he's working on InDesign. I'm like, hey, you're a designer? He goes, yeah. And I'm going to the How conference, yeah. I mean, he's sitting next to me, and it turns out he was a speaker at the conference, getting ready. That's his awesome. present. You know, it's just, Who was it? It was um, the guy from Collins, not Brian. Oh, Brian's uh, art director, right? Yeah, Brian. Well, Brian owns the company, so yeah. it's Collins, but it's his art director. Yeah, no, I met name. him yesterday. Yeah, and, and he just spoke. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Either. I just met him. Yesterday. Yeah, and he was awesome. And, we, you know, he was working, so we didn't get to talk that much, but then we walked to the, you know. But it was just such a small world that we just run it on the Amtrak, you know. Yeah. I sit next to another speaker, you know. Yeah, but you're also, um, I would say you're an extrovert. Yeah. Um, you also, you know, instigated that conversation, yeah, right? Which is exactly. key to what you do. Yeah, I had the opportunity to have this interview at the Hall Conference, where Emily and I both had the privilege to speak. And the opening keynote was given by a Rule 9 client and friend, Susan Kane. For those of you who do not know about Susan, Google her TED Talk. It has over 19 million views and is one of the most watched talks of all time. And her best-selling book, Quiet, The Power of Introverts on a World That Can't Stop Talking, is a national bestseller. Or visit her site, quietrev.com. It's not only a Rule 9 creation, but it's also an incredible resource for all things about introversion. It provides advice and stories for introverts and extroverts on how to approach our quiet side. It's a must watch, read, visit, or do all three. Susan's talk was the subject of my and Emily's exploration on whether or not she was an introvert or an extrovert. Okay, so I wonder after seeing her speak, I don't know if I'm an extrovert. Like I think I'm one of those ambiverts because I do like diving deep and I do like moments of quiet. Yeah. But I do seem like I'm an extrovert. <laughs> well, no, I think what, at the, and you know, I should be careful to, to, to you know, um, pre-label you. But I think that what I see, I see a lot of energy coming yes, out. Yes, I have tremendous energy. Um, yeah. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't drain you. Yeah. Right. Because I know typically when I leave a conference like this, I am just like zapped. Oh, I am for so days. exhausted. Yeah. yeah. Especially after you speak, I'm just like I need. To yeah. You either take a nap or have a drink. Yeah, or both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You just wrote this book. I know. That you um, launched on Kickstarter. Yeah. So yeah. tell me about that. Yeah, that was exciting. So, oh, you know, all my clients, they do self-driven projects. That's a big thing with design entrepreneurship. A lot of my clients are doing these self-driven projects. And sort of like you were talking about why you started podcasting, mm -hmm. it's sort of why I started writing this book. There was two reasons. One, I felt like a lot of my clients were doing self-driven projects. And... Um, I needed to be able to understand how, what's all involved in them. How do you do time management? How do you devote some time and energy to something that doesn't necessarily make money right away? Right. Um, so I thought I needed to do this myself. And then second was all my competitors had books and I didn't. <laughs> and everybody has been, you know, I get the funny, my favorite story that I get this a lot is people will say when they see me or when they want to work with me, they said, I've read your book, but I've never written a book. It was so so tell me your response. <laughs> I'm always like, that's really great, but I haven't written a book. You probably recognize me from my speaking. But they think, because I'm out there so much and pretty well recognized, you know, yeah, I think they, have a book, yeah. they thought I had a book, and it's really pretty funny. So I'm like, well, if they think I have a book, maybe I should write a book. 
Um, and also my dad is 93 and he was a bookseller and I really wanted to write a book before he passed. Mm. So um, I promised him I'd write the book. What a great tribute to your dad. So yeah, so I wrote the book. It was such a labor of love and it was a full family. So my daughter is um, 24. She had done a, she had done a kind of, not a Kickstarter, but a similar kind of um, crowdsourced product, yeah. uh, startup with, she was the marketing direct, uh, marketing manager of a startup. Okay. And uh, so she had a lot of experience. So she helped me a lot with like the Kickstarter because it was so much work. Um, but it's been great. It's been a really great experience just for me to learn what needs to happen and all the moving parts. Mm -hmm. So it was sort of a, a learning experience for me and I'm really proud of it. So yeah. I'm proud of you too, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. And you know, we've done <clears throat> Kickstarter projects before and yeah. there was really a, an art and a science it, to it. There really is. And you did it brilliantly. Yeah, and the people, everybody that helped, that's the thing, it's a team, right? It's like a community. And so I, 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 I hired the right people and I hired them. So this, none of this was barter. You know, I paid them their value and because I paid their value, they did. It wasn't like, it was seamless. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. a lot of times we do the barter, they don't always do the best job or they... Or I'll get to it when I can get to yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So I paid everybody their fees that they wanted. All my community all came out to support the Kickstarter. Oh, yeah. People out of the, like you, people out of the woodwork that I haven't spoken to in years were so great, you know, like I was super excited. It. And it's funny you used to tell that story about book and I was just like, is it possible Emily doesn't have a book? Yeah. I would have bet a million bucks you yeah, had. Yeah, yeah, and I never, I just never, you know, I'm so busy because I love the relationship part of my job. Mm -hmm. I love writing too, but I was just like, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, and I'm just a one-person firm. But I decided I needed to make the time to do mm -hmm. this. And also because I'm getting, you know, I wanted to have a legacy. I wanted to have something where I could have something in writing. The other big reason is I felt like the industry was going in a, not a great direction. Um, and I felt like a lot of people were not practicing good behaviors. Um, a lot of because I think there's a what I call design bubble right now. There's too many designers. Mm. I think there's way too many designers starting their own firms, not knowing what they're doing, and really hurting our industry. Um, and so I wanted to write a book for those people who maybe couldn't afford to hire me, but really wanted to learn kind of basic, good, strong practices. But it's also so it has basic stuff in it, but it also has a great lot of advanced stuff in there for people who already know what they're doing. Yeah. And they just need kind of next level stuff. And um, I also feel too that no matter how long you've been in the business. It's never a bad thing to be reminded of some of the basics. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you sometimes forget that yeah, kind of stuff. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so, what's the title of your book? It's called Brutally Honest. That's the name of it. <laughs> I have not read Emily's book yet, but I can assure you, without a doubt, if you are in the creative business, get this book. It will be delightfully direct, immediately usable, and a great read. And if you have enjoyed this episode so far, you know it will not be filled with BS, just brutal honesty. Now, there's a subtitle. Okay. Well, it's, now if I'm going to get this wrong, something like no bullshit uh, business strategies for creatives. Yeah. There's definitely a curse word in there. What I love it is when I saw it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so you. Yeah. That is like how I picture you talking, which is yeah. great. Yeah. I want it to be very straightforward. And there yeah. was a lot of debate about the no bullshit word. Um, but we decided I, that's what I felt like. I really wanted to, because I'm known for that. I'm known for like getting right to the point, telling you what the answer is. If you disagree with it, that's cool. We'll have a debate. Do you remember when I quoted you to work for us? Do you remember that experience? No. Yeah. You were great, by the way. I was at this point, and I just didn't know right. anymore if I could do it. Not that I had lost passion to run the firm. That wasn't it. I uh -huh. didn't know if I had the skill sets to go from like a three-person firm. I think at the time we're going to, it was like seven. It felt right. overwhelming to me. How, are, how many people do you know? We have 14 or 15. Good yeah. That's great. And I, I just, I knew you. In fact, I had just seen you, and so... 
I kind of gave you some description. You gave me like proposal back and and I don't know what I was expecting, but I, at the time I didn't feel like I could afford it. Yeah. And you, it was great. You said something along the lines like, hey, that's okay. Yeah. I'm here when you're ready. Yeah. I tell that people all the time. And I, and I thought, she's not trying to talk me into it. Yeah. She, you stated it very clearly what you could do for me. Yeah. And really it was whether or not I could either afford it or invest right. in it or whatever. Right. And so I always really appreciate that about yeah. you. Yeah. No, I definitely tell people that. Like, if you can't afford it that's cool just wait till when you're ready to invest in your business yeah I always say that like you have to invest in your business and if you're not ready that's cool I get that and the other thing is I think sometimes people um, are just a little bit afraid of change and I'm not ready to work with people who are afraid of change you have to be ready for change because we all have to change we able to pivot the industry is changing like daily right I'm sure like you said the whole thing about podcasting like we have to constantly go with the flow because our industry is changing so much and if we're not willing to change yeah, well, you know this better than anyone. I was in New York last week at the AIJ Gala. Yeah. And someone had said, I think it was at, on stage, that in the last five years, our industry has changed more than the last hundred years combined. Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. And so for someone who's middle, maybe approaching, maybe near the end of their career, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, that's depressing. It's not who that, we don't know who those people yeah, are. Those, <laughs> but that could be equally exciting and terrifying. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, just to date myself, I when I came out of school, that just when the internet kind of had started yeah. commercially. And so you had to learn all of that, right? Yeah. And so now think about, you know, you know, social media yeah. and, and um, you know, video and how, you know, firms now shoot movies. I mean, it's awesome yeah, it's to be cr- a creative. I love it. But it can also be overwhelming. Yeah, it can be overwhelming. And if you're not ready for it, if you, a lot of just people are set in their ways, it's yeah. a really hard industry to be in. But I would say that about the world. The world is changing so fast. Yeah, no, I know? agree with that. Um, yeah. So what are some of the things that you most commonly, I have two questions for you, yeah. you most commonly come up against? Like it, when you're working with a leader, yeah. what are the things that are most commonly present? Um, two things. There's a lot of commonalities. One is the person who's running the firm is so in the weeds designing every day that they're not focused on the big picture of their business. So a lot of designers start their own firm because they want to do cool work and they can't trust their team to do their best job and they don't want to. They start they don't want to let go of doing design. And when you run your own firm, I don't know what about you, but you know, it's it's running a firm is not designing. It's a lot of other things, being a great creative director and letting people design awesome work for you under your vision. You know, and so I think that's a big one. I think most of my clients start from that place of like always in the weeds, always fighting fires, never thinking about, well, who am I as a company? Where do I want to go? So they're allowing, this gets back to new business, my second point, and it's related, which is they allow all their clients and even their staff to drive the direction of the business. Mm. So all your business is by referrals. So that's the second thing is, is a lot of my clients, all their new business is by referrals. And they're proud of it. And they should be because that means they're doing great work and the clients love them. But that allows the clients and all the people you know to derive the direction of your business. So it's embracing new business or embracing relationship building so that you can control the direction of your business. Because you're only going to get the work of people that know each other. Yeah. And then that's going to be the same kind of work in the same kind of industry with the same kind of personalities and the same pricing structures. So I think that's the two things. One is a principle that doesn't get out of his own way and really focus on the big picture of the vision. And the other one relying on others to drive the direction of your business and not having a focus on operations and new business and staffing and building culture and 
And that's the stuff I love. Like, I love building culture. I love staff management. I love client management. I love, like, the big picture of things. Yeah, I can tell. So, yeah. For those of you, obviously, who are listening to this, you can't see. She just lit up right there <laughs> yeah. when she uh, talked about it. So it's exciting. Yeah. Um, so I often um, cringe at questions like this, but I, I have a feeling that, that you may have a few of those. If you were to give someone just general advice, you know, um, become an entrepreneur yeah. and one who has been doing it for a while, do you give them, you know, some standard piece of advice just to think about? Yeah, I think I do. It's hard. It's, that is a very hard question. I'd say the, the ones that are starting their own firm, I would say this. There might be three points here. I really distinguish between freelancers and having a firm. You could be a one-person firm, um, but a lot of those people think they're freelancers. So my, and freelancer to me means you're a pair of hands, you work hourly, usually work on premises, you're on the beck and call of clients. If that's what you want to be, then be a freelancer, work on site somewhere, get paid a lot of, you know, hourly and you're fine. But if you want to have a business and you have clients, you have to treat it like a business. And one of the things I say about that, and this is really, a lot of people don't want to hear this, is it's not sustainable to have a one-person firm. Yeah. You could start that way and you have to grow, but eventually you have to hire because you have to get out of the weeds, because my other point, which is that you can't be designing all the time because you're never going to grow as a firm. Now, if you're happy just designing once in a while for projects and staying the same level and not expanding your repertoire of work and clients, then that's fine. Um, but if you want to grow and be a sustainable firm, you have to hire eventually. So I always tell people that one-person firms are not sustainable. Um, doesn't mean they can't survive, they just can't grow and get more money like so at some point your your salary level sets mm -hmm. um, and also the kind of work you do so that's I think for new design firms I would say that it's to get um, to start thinking about hiring if you're one person um, and thinking about what that hire is and it's never a project manager or an assistant people always think the first hire should be or it's never like an intern or a junior designer it's always mm -hmm. somebody that's senior that you can let go of mm. Like, I always recommend that your first hire should not be a junior person. Their first thing is junior because it's slower salary. Yeah. But they take more time to nurture and mentor, and you're spending more time mentoring them than you are growing your business. Hmm. So I think that's it. And then for established firms, I think it's about focusing on culture now. I think a lot of design firms are not focused on culture, and culture is so important to the younger generation now. Rightfully so. Good for them. I, yeah. I think I wish I was born in this generation because I feel like I'm a millennial That'd at heart. Be great. Yeah, I think this generation's so awesome because they care about culture, they care about environment, they care about having a life after work. You know, they don't want to work. You know, more than nine to five. That good for them. Mm -hmm. But what when they're at when they're at a job, they will do awesome work for you. You know, so I think focusing more on culture. And not like going bowling. You know what I mean? Like not force culture. <laughs> right, playing ping pong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's yeah. kind of like creating this culture of, of things when it's actually just inauthentic. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So what are your hopes for your book? Um, that it changes the industry. I, it's this big goal, right? It's. It's great though. I, I wanted to be an aha moment for a lot of people that are practicing. You know who need to take their business to the next level or who are at a really good level but need to keep growing their firm. So I really, I love having impact. So that's, and also I'd love to make my money back because I put so much yeah. money into it. Yeah. But it's not a financial gambit. Yeah. Um, it's more to educate. Like people are like, oh, you're going to get clients from it. And that would be great, but it's not really why I did the book. It's really just I want to change people's mindsets.
Hmm. Um, That's awesome. And the book is really cool. One thing I want to say about it that I think, because there are a lot of business books out there for designers, and many written by people I adore, you know, um, and who you are friends with, you know, like David Baker and Elise Benham, awesome people, like really smart people. Um, But I wanted my book to be a little bit different in that I wanted it to be very designed. Like, I wanted to, like, be on really nice paper. Mm. And, you know, it's like, it's nine-color printing. And it's, so it's respecting that designers value creativity. Mm-hmm. So my book is super, like, has information graphics. It's, it's like, bullet points. So it's, it looks, it's going to be very, I'm thinking, it's going to be Smythe, Smith findings, mm-hmm. Smythe findings. Because yeah. designers love that. I want it to be, like, some, an object that designers love. So you're designing for your personas. I yeah. love it. It's great. Yeah, it costs more money, but yeah. like I'm using um, Mohawk super fine paper. Oh, there's, a, there's a Mohawk shout out right there. Yeah, yeah that's that's fantastic. Yeah, I didn't mean to do it, but yeah. No, I no, mean, they were... we we love them. Hi Ted. Yeah. Hi Chris. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they've been really great about supporting this in some way. You know, like they've been really good about it, and um, they're not donating paper, but they've done a lot of amazing other stuff. Um, you know, it's great that you brought this up. This podcast is sponsored by Mohawk Fine Papers. Are you kidding me? No, it is now. <laughs> well, hey, thank you so much for your time. I cannot You're wait welcome. to get the book in my hands and read yeah. it. And we'll continue to uh, promote it. And, Good, thank um, you. From someone who's been in the profession for a while, I just want to say also thank you for caring about what we do because uh, it does change, right? And yeah. it evolves. And, and I think that... Um, I, you know, when I got in the profession, I thought, you know, you got into it and you, you get to a certain level and things are kind of are what they are yeah um, which is foolish yeah um, but so thank you for continuing to push us to thanks for having me too this is really fun you bet it was great seeing you too <laughs> yeah, see you too all right thank you thank you thank you again emily for sharing your time with me and for the love you have for the creative industry you can connect with emily or get a link to her book brutally honest by checking out her website emilycohen.com we'll put links in the show notes i also want to give an extra special shout out to this episode sponsor and all around amazing musician sleeping at last thank you ryan for being the soundtrack to these stories but also being a brilliant musician and friend check out sleeping at last anywhere you listen to music or at sleepingatlast.com and to design of's audio engineer steve wick hey steve i want to be brutally honest and just say we love you man i don't have friends i got family and let's not forget my co-founder of this podcast wills francis who really left this show because... I have a certain personality that people are going to love or hate. And most people really adore me. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this story. And if you enjoyed this and our past episodes, which, by the way, this is season four, so we have three other seasons for you to enjoy, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps us get the show out there and we can reach more people. Please follow us on Twitter at Design of Podcast and check out our site at rule29.com forward slash design of podcast. See you next episode. <laughs> <laughs>